is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. In recent times, we've heard an awful lot about kings and the coronation of kings and the realm of royalty. But the reality is, if you and I are true followers of Jesus Christ, we are involved with a king. Now, that's hard for us to understand living in a so-called democracy or a democratic republic that rejected the whole idea of kingship. On the other hand, if you look to the scriptures, you find that we are supposed to be serving the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, let's suppose that Jesus is a king, as declared by the scripture. That would mean that if he were a king, he would have to have subjects, right? And if he didn't have subjects, he wouldn't be much of a king, would he? So he's a king because he has subjects. But what are the subjects supposed to do? Well, let's suppose that the subjects don't agree with the king's viewpoint concerning the purposes of the kingship or the kingdom of God. We've got a problem then, don't we? Because the king is no longer a king. He's serving us instead of us serving him. Well, maybe that's part of our problem here in America and around the world today as professing Christians. And what if we just totally dis or disagree with his commands to go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them to observe everything, obey everything that God has commanded? What if we just don't agree with that? Well, that would make us a rebel, wouldn't it? And what are rebels against a king? Aren't they engaged in some form of tyranny? Well, you and I don't want to be involved in tyranny, so we want to obey the king. We want to follow his kingship, his lordship. And in order to do that, we have to become, in reality, his ambassadors. The scripture talks about being an ambassador and that we are to be ambassadors of Christ. But what in the world does that mean? Are those just words Or is there an actual application and implication for each one of us in this ultimate time of world history, even on the near edge of the second coming? All of those things here today, as we talk with a new guest, our new friend, Dr. John Jackson, who's written a book called Grace Ambassador, that you and I are called to bring heaven to earth. You say, how can we do that in the midst of seeming increasing hell on earth well maybe that's just the point dr john jackson joining us from northern california john it's good to have you in the program thank you so much chuck i love being with you and with your audience and i really love the way that you've anchored this conversation both in history scripture politics and personal responsibility well maybe that's why the lord called me to uh, be a public school teacher for nine years there in california and then practice law for 20 years and being involved in uh, one of the largest growing churches there in southern california and pastoring and uh, uh, teaching even as a lawyer it seems that god's called us to mix it all up hasn't he he sure has and i think chuck one of the problems of maybe modern day christianity at least modern day christianity in america is we've accepted some uh, what I'll call artificial lines of demarcation. We have, for instance, uh, life inside the church and life outside the church, or uh, I'll sometimes even describe it using the word sacred 
and secular. And I think we've made those lines where, quite frankly, there shouldn't be lines. Well, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Uh, it's tough to be an ambassador if all you are is an ambassador inside uh, the king's palace and you never go out to truly be an ambassador. Well, Chuck, that's actually one of the reasons why I chose that title is uh, not only is it biblical, as you have already referenced in Second Corinthians 5, it says that we are ambassadors. And we can plumb the depths of that passage a little bit more. But if you think about it, ambassadorship always means we represent someone else. We represent a king and a kingdom, as you've already said. And then beyond that, our representation is not inside the four walls. It's out there. It's to other nations, other tribes, other cultures, other dim- dimensions. And we have that privilege to be ambassadors. Well, I think one of the problems, and, and I've discussed this so many, many times here on this program, uh, believe it or not, over the past 28 years, being an ambassador, shall we speak, via the radio, uh, speaking primarily to the body of Christ to be and become the people that God has called us to be and become. And one of the things that uh, I have talked about so often is this idea of the purpose of the church gathered. Uh, it seems that for many, many years, and I grew up in a pastor's home and uh, in a number of different denominations, both from East Coast to West Coast and in between. So I've seen a pretty good uh, manifestation of the broader body of Christ uh, in our time over the past, uh, say, uh, 70 years, since I'm 77 years of age. And uh, what I've noticed is the thinking that the real purpose of the church gathered is to bring as many people inside a uh, a church building, and that's where all of the work of the ministry is to be done, inside the church building. But what I see in the New Testament, you can tell me what your thoughts are on this, but what I see in the New Testament is the purpose of the church gathered is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to become the ambassadors, obedient ambassadors, to be corrected in righteousness, to be exhorted, to uh, for the fellowship of the saints, to equip them to go out and be the church as the church scattered. What say you? Oh, boy. Well, Chuck, I'll tell you, first of all, 28 years of faithfulness, 77 years of life. Uh, you probably should have written this book and probably have in, in many settings, but I could not agree with you more. Let me just use one passage, Ephesians chapter 4, mm-hmm. which many of your listeners will be familiar with. Ephesians 4, God gave these various ministries, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists, to equip the body for the work of service so that the body could be built up and uh, be able to bring testimony. So the body brings, uh, gets built up and comes to maturity as each individual part does its work. Our work is not inside the house, the church gathered. Our work is actually when the church is scattered or distributed. Sometimes uh, I use the word distributed as a parallel for scattered. When you go outside the doors of your church, whether that's a house church or a mega church, big or small, when you go outside the doors of that gathering, the church gathered, you are still the church. You're still carrying the kingdom of God into every atmosphere that you go. And uh, I know we'll talk about this more, Chuck, but i got to tell you this. People like me. Pastors, maybe people like you, uh, pastors, attorneys, teachers, uh, sometimes the message we get when we're in the church gathered 
is that if we really want to be faithful to Jesus, we'll be a pastor or missionary. But if we're not really that faithful, we'll go work in the marketplace, make some money, give it to the church, and then we can serve inside the church. Yeah. And again, Chuck, I'm a lover of the church. I, I believe in the church gathered. It's one of my three great loves in life, Jesus, family, and church. But I will tell you this, my definition of the church is not just the church gathered. It's the church scattered or the church distributed, because that's where our real assignment comes in as we represent Jesus everywhere we go. No question about it. Absolutely no question about it. And uh, that's one of the reasons why uh, people found it rather interesting that I, as a practicing trial attorney in Southern California, should be so involved in teaching and preaching uh, the kingdom of God everywhere I went. Uh, and it, it, it was quite fascinating. People couldn't quite gather how an attorney should be so interested in the kingdom of God and uh, trying to equip and strengthen the body of Christ everywhere so that they can do the work of the ministry. And uh, that has been my background. That's been my, uh, you know, it, it's very interesting. Because my parents, probably particularly my mother, uh, really envisioned me as becoming a pastor. That was her goal for the firstborn of her five children. And uh, when I ended up, after graduating from a Christian college at the top of my class, and ended up teaching school for nine years before I went to law school, uh she didn't quite know how to relate to that didn't know how to relate to it and then when i began practicing law went to law school that was just beyond the pale for my mother's understanding how could this possibly be and then when the lord spoke to my heart to go out and run twice for the state legislature in california over hill over dale hitting the dusty trail walking a thousand miles door to door that was just totally beyond the pale. So my mother, loving mother, taught us the word of God, but she just could not comprehend that her son that she had invested the word of God in could actually be carrying the kingdom of God in any of those spheres. That's what laid the foundation for what I do today. Yeah, and Chuck, I'll just resonate with you. I know your listeners have heard this phrase, you know, I just didn't have a file for that. Your mother, <laughs> blessed as she is, and loved Jesus, loved the Word, loved her children, uh, did not have a file for the idea that being faithful to Jesus might mean being a teacher, an attorney, a warehouse worker. Uh, just couldn't have imagined that that would be the highest form of obedience, and yet you were faithfully following the Lord in each one of those settings. Well, what she did not understand, and actually, to be real honest, what I did not fully understand during all of those iterations of my Christian walk was that God was using every one of those experiences to to lay the foundation for what he called me to do to leave the practice of law in 1992 to plead his cause of the land as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation here on this in, in America's greatest crisis hour in the near end of the second coming. Without all of those experiences, I would never have been equipped to do what I do today for the kingdom of God. Yes, and I I just want to so resonate and hope your listeners are picking up both your heartbeat and mine, and that is every single person has a divine destiny. God has a 
imprint upon you that Ephesians 4 passage says the body works properly as each individual part does its work. You, The listeners who are listening right now, you have something inside of you that God wants to bring out so that you can be used for his glory right where you are or right where he's going to take you, someplace you never would have imagined, in a job, in an address, in a geography. He's got his hands upon you if you're a follower of Jesus and you have an assignment to be his ambassador wherever you are. Time to bring heaven to earth, friends. The book, Grace Ambassador, it's a $17 book. It's yours for $12 on our website, saveus.org. Go to the website, saveus.org. Call us 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA. Or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. You're writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. And you're going to be inspired to become a grace ambassador. Uh, John, by the way, a grace ambassador has to be a truth ambassador as well, doesn't he? A hundred percent. You read the first chapter of the book of John. It says the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. And what I would say is grace and truth came without compromise. So today, a lot of people are excited about grace but they're not so excited about truth. But if you're an ambassador of Jesus, you have to be full of grace and truth, just like he was. You have just cleared the the cobwebs away from one of the great concerns that I had when I picked up your book, Grace Ambassador. You have just cleared it up. We are to be ambassadors of both grace and truth. In fact, we wouldn't even understand grace without truth, would we? That's 100% right, and believe it or not, Chuck, because of that, I've actually thought about writing another little book called Truth Ambassador, and it's because in our day and age, we've gone from believing in absolute truth to relative truth to now, uh, truth is defined by our experiential reality. We literally say, I get to decide what is true and not based on my personal experience. Well, it was a graduate of Fuller Theological Seminary that you attended who went over there to... uh, uh, joined with a bunch of folk over there with the Pope a few years ago. Uh, Mel Roebuck was his name. And uh, he said, and they all agreed, that from now on we're not going to preach truth. We're going to preach experience because truth divides and experience unites. Can you believe that? That's how they chose to become ambassadors for Christ. Well, and here's the problem with that. When Pilate said, what is truth at the trial of Jesus? The truth has a name, and his name is Jesus. In John 14, 6, it says, no one comes to the Father but by me. So if you want to call truth a divider, you can call Jesus a divider. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. John, you're you're really starting to uh, drive a wedge between uh, the, the grace awakening and truth, it seems to me, because George Barna... And his latest uh, adventures in studying what's going on in the realm of our country and, and the church says that among professing Christian young people, less than 20% of them actually believe that Jesus Christ is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. Has there been any grace awakening with them? I think, uh, boy, you're raising a critical issue, Chuck, and I happen to know George and uh, love him, appreciate his work. What he, What George is telling us, is that we are actually, and I'm going to use a very strong word, we're having an apostasy, a falling away in the church itself. The church has sacrificed truth on the altar of expediency, and expediency being, I think, not motivated badly, 
I want to reach people. And so because of wanting to reach people, the church has soft-souled truth in an, in an attempt to demonstrate grace. But it's really no grace at all, Chuck, if what we demonstrate to people is not the truth. It's not grace to say there are many ways to heaven. It's not grace to say that God uh, forgives us without our repentance. That's not grace at all. That's actually deception. Is it grace to accept that which God says he hates or calls an abomination? Absolutely, unequivocally not. And let me let me make, a, it's not a clarification, but just an expansion. I believe the heart of God was that he wanted to save Sodom and Gomorrah. He wanted to save Sodom and Gomorrah. But because he could not find righteous there, and because they would not turn from their ways, Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed. God's mm-hmm. heart is always for redemption. It's always for redemption, but he also is a just and holy and perfect God. That is that is absolutely true. Now, let's let's go to uh, to your experience a little bit. You are actually uh, a university president, aren't you? Aren't you? Yes, I'm the president of Jessup University. We're located about 18 miles east of Sacramento. We say that the more you head away from Sacramento, the more you get close to Lake Tahoe. Mark Twain said it was the fairest spot on earth. So we're on your way from Sacramento to Lake Tahoe, just 18 miles uh, east of the state capital of California. And so I get the privilege of leading this wonderful Christ-centered university. Well, tell us a little bit about it, because I'm not familiar with uh, uh, William Jessup University. What's its root? Uh, Jessup was actually established in 1939. It came out of the Independent Christian Church, which is really uh, has strength in the Midwestern part of the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, grew, grew out of a revival in Cane Ridge, Kentucky, in, in uh, 1800s. And what I say to describe our background, it's a it's an interdenominational group. We're not non or anti. It's an interdenominational. Mm-hmm. About 50 denominations here. Three things we lift up. Number one, the Lordship of Christ. That's why John 14:6 is not negotiable. The Lordship of Christ. Number two, the authority of Scripture. Number three, a little bit more challenging, Chuck, is John 17, the unity of the Church. Mm-hmm. Uh, independent Christian Church grew up saying, is there a way that we could return back to New Testament Christianity, not divide on issues that are not about the, the center of truth? You, you've probably heard this over the years. We have a hard center and soft periphery, so there's some issues. Lordship of Christ, authority of Scripture— uh, deity of Jesus, sinfulness of mankind, the need for atonement, those are non-negotiable issues. But we, we realize Christians uh, through the years have disagreed on some issues, but not any of those that I just articulated. All right. Well, I would have to tell you, uh, having been on the board of a Christian university, not now, but uh, for several years, and asked to actually do a complete year-long study as a lawyer, to do a complete year-long study uh, of the spiritual life of that university, uh, I have to I have to know uh, deep in my soul how difficult it must be to be a president of a Christian university today. Well, Chuck, uh, back in the '90s, Peter Drucker said the hardest jobs in America were to be a large church pastor, a hospital administrator, and a college president. And I've been a large church pastor. I'm now serving as a Christian university president. And my wife wants to know when I'm going to go lead a hospital. I have no plans to do that. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) you are spot on uh, correct, Chuck. The reality is is that leading a a Christ-centered, not just faith-based, a Christ-centered, biblically grounded university, and particularly here in California, 
it's really a challenge. And thankfully, Chuck, the Lord's been so faithful, and uh, we are concerned regularly about the spiritual life of our students. We try to do our very best to strengthen. But one of the ways we do that, Chuck, is that we are committed to partnering with the church. We have about 900 churches that are connected to us at Jessup, mm. strongly centered in Northern California and Nevada. So that's how we try to stay anchored and rooted is to the church and help the church thrive uh, along with our students. Well, how terrific is that? The world is desperate for what you have. That's what our uh, guest today, Dr. John Jackson, says in his book, Grace Ambassador. The world is desperate for what you have. But, friend, what do you think you have? Or what do you think you don't have? What is keeping you from being an ambassador where you are? John, we used to talk about blooming where you're planted. Some people either are not planted, maybe they're six feet under already as Christians. How can we bloom if we're six feet under? Well, Chuck, let me say a couple things that hopefully will be helpful to your listeners, and I don't mean to be uh, in any way trite, but a, but a couple things. Um, I think, quite frankly, some people believe that once they receive Jesus, their job is to just hang on till they get rescued out of here. And that is not in the New Testament. We're supposed to uh, occupy until he comes. Say that again. Say that again. All right. Some people, Chuck, think I'm supposed to receive Jesus as my Savior and then just hang on until I get rescued out of here. And I don't read that in the pages of Scripture. I I, uh, read that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. I read that we're to occupy until he comes. Okay, then the definition of what that means, to occupy till he comes, is what your book is all about. It it, it really is. And so let me give you two other statements that might uh, correlate with the whole idea of occupy that would be helpful. Uh, The first thing, Chuck, is this. Your address is not an accident. It's an assignment. Mm -mm -mm. Your address is not an accident, it's an assignment. And this is a way to say bloom where we planted, but just in a little bit different words. Where you live, where you work, the family that you're in, think about all those as addresses, those are actually assignments from heaven. There is never a place where you draw breath. There's never a place where you live and move and breathe. If you're a follower of Jesus, where you are not on assignment. When you were a lawyer, you were assignment. When you are a teacher, you are on assignment. As a college president, I never trained for this, Chuck. I never, ever. I wanted to be a pastor. I wanted to be a a writer, a, a, a speaker. I never, ever wanted to be a college president. I am a college president because this is my assignment, and I have to be faithful to that assignment. Your address is not an accident. It's assignment. No question about it. I love your viewpoint on this, and we say regularly here on this program, that viewpoint determines destiny. Our viewpoint determines destiny. There are no neutral viewpoints. Every viewpoint we have, however great or small, is determining destiny in some way. So our our viewpoint concerning our role, our responsibility, our relationship with Christ, and its echoing consequences in the broader sphere in which we find ourselves is what it means to be an ambassador. Now, the interesting thing about ambassadors is that if you don't do what the king asks you to do, he might recall you. 
Now, that would be of concern to me. What do you think, John? Boy, I tell you, Chuck, you're putting it out there straight, and I want to just have your listeners understand this. When when you say viewpoint determines destiny, I just want to so resonate with that because uh, what you focus on, you become. What you focus on, you become. Your viewpoint, what you are looking at, what you are uh, believing, what you are filtering your experience with, that is going to shape your destiny. Uh, so you are spot on. The whole idea of being recalled, uh, boy, is that is frightening <laughs> to me, too. That, that uh, kind of scares some of our theology, doesn't it? It does. And I, I honestly, I wonder about this. I've said this over the years. Uh, I'm a little bit younger than you, but not, not, uh, not a lot younger. And uh, Chuck, I'll say this, that I've actually experienced some people who I think, I know this is scary, who maybe had an early home going because uh, they were they were not being faithful in what the Lord had called them to do. Mm-hmm. And I, I, now you're 77, so let me share with you uh, what a good friend. I'm a young said. 77. You're, you are, oh, you're vital and vibrant. I can tell that right now. Come but on, let's get old, with it, brother. <laughs> okay, come on, come on. In the Old Testament, Chuck, there's a, a man, one of the two spies that went into spies land. His name is Caleb. And uh, he began his greatest season of ministry at the age of 80. Yes, he did. So I have a friend who tells me all the time, he says, John, you need to pray for the Caleb anointing so that when you're 80, uh, I'm in my early, early 60s right now, when you're 80, then you, your ministry could just begin. And I, I tell him I'm a little afraid to pray for that anointing. It's, uh, it's still a lot of what years away. But, you know, Chuck, you've got that Caleb anointing. I can tell that already. Well, I'll tell you, John, let me give you a little education, a little legal education. When you go to law school, one of the things that you'll never forget is the... Uh, the fertile octogenarian rule. Uh, now, you could call it never believe that you can't be an Abraham. The fertile octogenarian rule means that if you're going to practice law in the area of wills and trusts and things like that, never presume that somebody isn't going to have a child after 80 years of age. Never wow. presume it. It's called the fertile octogenarian rule. Now, let's, <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it? Now, let's apply that. Let's suppose that somebody is 70 or 80 years of age or whatever, and they think in their mind, well, any role, any place I could have to be an ambassador is gone. What say you? Uh, well, first of all, I had never heard about the fertile octogenarian rule, and I have some friends who are attorneys, so I'm going to talk to them about it and ask them why they never shared with me. <laughs> Uh, but, That'll preach, uh, boy. I, what I like about this is uh, Peter Drucker, uh, some people say the father of modern management, wrote his last management book before he died. I believe he was 92 or 93 years of age. Mm. The, the fact is, is that we can be productive for the king and his kingdom until the last day we draw breath on this planet. And I really think, Chuck, you may not have a full-time paid vocation. You may not have a position or a title. But every day on this planet, we can be productive for the king and the kingdom by by being part of, of his work. And we never stop. Uh, I have so many examples in, in my life of older men and women who prayed for me, who were engaged in ministry, many of them in their 70s, 80s, and a few uh, in their 90s that I can recall that were faithful until literally their last breath on the planet. All right. Well, friends, uh, you want to be encouraged. You want to be strengthened. You want to have a new 
refreshing vision for the rest of your life? Grace Ambassador, Bringing Heaven to Earth. It's a $17 book, yours for $12. It's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. You can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA. You can write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Again, if you're writing a check, add $5 for postage and handling, and we'll get it in your hands. The, the world is desperate for what you are supposed to have, my friend, what you're supposed to have. So what if we, John, Dr. John Jackson, president of William Jessup University, what if we have not been faithful in equipping ourselves with the king's understanding of life and purpose? Then what? Well, let me, let me give you a, a couple alternatives. First of all, I'll say this. Uh, Jesus himself said that the rocks would cry out. If we didn't praise God and, and do what he's called us to do, the very rocks would cry out. So I'll say this, uh, Chuck, as much as I want to be faithful, and I want brothers and sisters in Christ to be faithful, the truth is if we're not faithful, he is faithful. And he is faithful, and he will bring a witness to himself even if it's not us, which is his plan. And I I say to people all the time, Chuck, that you're God's plan A, and there is no plan B. And, and, And while I mean that, that that's where Jesus left the Great Commission, that's the accountability and responsibility of the Church, let me tell you this, God will raise up someone else. If we will not be faithful, he will raise up someone else. But Chuck, can you imagine the scene in heaven when the video of our lives play out, and we see those moments uh First of all, that we'll get rewards for when we've been found faithful. But imagine the video scene when we recognize how many times we could have and and should have shared the gospel. We could have and should have been faithful with demonstrating the love, the care, the compassion, and the truth of the gospel, and we were silent instead. I, I think that's something that we should live with. I know for me, Chuck, every day I'm asking myself, uh, just praying, asking the Holy Spirit to guide me, uh, I've been doing something recently with waiters that, that your listeners might enjoy, but in every situation you're in, just say, how can I be faithful to the good news of Jesus and the love of God uh, to redeem the world around us? That's the calling, and God will accomplish the Great Commission no matter what, but we're God's plan A. That's exactly right, and uh, everywhere we are, if we're out to lunch, out to dinner, or uh and using the term out to lunch, I don't mean it in a, pre- a pejorative sense. Uh, if, we, if we're out to eat, let's put it that way, the waiter and the waitresses and those that we encounter are people, people that God has placed us in front of. How are we going to treat them? What are we going to do? What are we going to say? One of the things that uh, uh, I have learned over the years is that uh, this phrase, People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So how, how do you show a waiter or a waitress how much you care? Well, you, some people say, well, uh, is there anything I can pray for you about? Well, that's fine, but it's kind of out of the blue. What I've come to do, uh, John, is I ask, I, I ask, make sure a waiter or waitress tells me their name. And then I always use their name because their name is who they are. Yeah. 
And then I ask them, do you know what your name means? Sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. Most of the time they don't. Sometimes I actually know what their name means. Other times I'll take out my cell phone and use it legitimately to ask, speak to my cell phone and have Siri tell me what that name means. And then when the waiter comes back, I can tell them what their name means. Now, when I do that, I'm making a connection of caring for that person. I don't know where that will take us, but it may or may not take us further into discussing things about the kingdom of God. But we have to show people how much we care, don't we? Yes, Chuck, and in in such a tangible way. uh, I was a server before, so I have particular sensitivity uh, for those who are serving. They're busy. They've got lots of tables to take care of. But by you asking their name, connecting their name to the meaning, what you're really doing is saying, uh, I want to talk to you now. I want to be able to share. You can certainly pray for them. I, I do that on a regular basis by using their name, but you've rooted it in their identity. And we live in a world, Chuck, in which people not only struggle with truth, they they really absolutely struggle with a sense of whether or not to your show's name, viewpoint. And there, there tends to be such division and, and such uh, uncertainty about truth that people are really looking for compassion and care first. If they receive compassion and care, and I'm going to say something a little controversial, the reason why uh, many Islamic communities have started to replicate what what happened for many years in Christian communities by doing medical services and educational services, it's often through the demonstration of care and compassion Mm -hmm. that the door gets open to sharing the gospel. If we meet needs in the name of Jesus, and then, then we have the opportunity to proclaim the gospel. And sometimes people meet needs and never share Christ, but we need to be those who give a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus. We need to demonstrate care and be able to share that Jesus loves them, that they are loved madly by God, that he cares deeply for them. And I love the fact that you ask for their name, and then you give the meaning of their name, because that roots their name and identity together, hopefully opening the door for you to share the gospel with them. I try to do that with contractors and uh, other people that come to our home, that come to uh, serve in various ways, to to show that they're not just somebody out there that has no name, that has no connection with anything. They're just it. Nobody is an it, and nobody should be an it in the mind and heart of a professing Christian walking around in this world, I don't think. Yes, I, I love that. And I want to say this. I had the privilege to grow up in a believing home. My dad and mom pastored small to medium-sized Baptist churches. And I mm-hmm. saw my father lead people to Christ in restaurants and gas stations, on airplanes when they were trapped, <laughs> and in a number of other settings. <laughs> you mean a captive and, audience? Uh, <laughs> yes, captive audience. That's right. And so, Chuck, I, I have throughout, I am, I'm 61 right now. And so I, I just often think my father's with the Lord now, but I think of uh, the importance of having a passion for reaching people for Jesus. And I just pray for that passion to be bubbling up uh, in our churches, in our our communities of of followers of Jesus, that the church gathered uh, hopefully will stir up a passion to reach uh, the world when the church is scattered or distributed. How can an ambassador be effective going to a country and not passionately 
expressing the views, the uh, the overall understanding of what it means to be, say, uh, a Frenchman or a, Ger- a German or uh, even a Russian or an American. Uh, an ambassador has to represent what the, the leadership and the spirit of where they're coming from. It, it goes back to what you announced at the very beginning. You did it so eloquently. The fact is, there is a king and a kingdom. We are not our own, the Apostle Paul says. We've been bought with a price. Therefore, we have to glorify God, give glory and honor to him. I don't represent John Jackson. You do not represent Chuck Crismeyer. You no. represent the king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, and you represent a kingdom, by the way, not just a king, a kingdom. And I think that's so important for us to realize when we're going about our everyday, you can be in the grocery store, you can be at the gymnasium, you can be walking in the neighborhood, you represent Jesus everywhere you go as a Christian. And one of the things that pains me the most is those limited occasions, hopefully, when I don't. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and, Chuck, I don't know if how you are. You're probably a very patient man. But when I'm in traffic sometimes or I'm in uh, a crowded store situation and I mm. just want to get out of there, mm. I can almost feel uh, the Lord, the Holy Spirit, tapping me on the shoulder saying, Patience, 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 because I'm generally not a patient person. Well, that's and, the battle of the flesh against the spirit, brother. Ah, uh, isn't it? Isn't <laughs> it? <laughs> and when we give in to the flesh, we are of necessity not being effective ambassadors of the kingdom. Well, and when we're in the flesh, I promise what people are seeing in my case is they're seeing John in the natural they're not seeing John in the supernatural manifesting or demonstrating the person and work of Jesus Christ. Isn't it interesting that uh, Jesus prayed, uh, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven? I, I don't want to dissuade your listeners, Chuck, but that's, this is actually uh, a, a personal confession of mine. For many, many years, Chuck, I said that prayer I read that prayer. I even taught on that prayer. Mm-hmm. And to be frank, Chuck, one of the things that came to me about 12 years ago is I was praying that prayer, believing that phrase, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I was believing that like I would a Hallmark card, a greeting card. In other words, I was praying that believing that it was a sentiment that had no basis in reality. It was never going to be on earth as it is in heaven, because look at how uh, how much disequilibrium, how much uh, division, how much destruction, how much sin is on. It's never going to be on earth as it is in heaven until about 12 years ago, Chuck, I actually felt convicted. John, you say you believe in the Bible, you, but you're receiving Jesus' prayer as though he doesn't really mean it. Mm. Boy, that became a very convicting moment. Well, you know... Uh... <laughs> Somebody could hear that, and they say, oh, are you talking about Reconstruction theology? Are you saying that uh, we, have to pre- we, we can prepare the way of the Lord sufficiently so that everybody receives Jesus, and that's going to be the prerequisite to his second coming? There are those that believe that. Yeah, and I, I guess what I have learned over the course of my life is that the tensions are necessary. There's a tension between grace and truth. Yes, there is. Jesus 
lived grace perfectly, and he lived truth perfectly. The woman caught in adultery, after her accusers were gone, he said, woman, where are your accusers? She said, they've all gone, only you remain. He said, neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. Full of truth, full of grace. So I would say this. The Scripture is very clear, Chuck, in my mind, very clear, that evil is actually going to continue to flourish before the return of the Lord. Jesus said it would. The Apostle Paul said it would. Peter said it would, even in the church. Now, let me give you one more step, though. He also talked about the fact that he was coming back for a bride, spotless and pure. Absolutely. And he said that the kingdom of heaven would prevail. The gates of hell would not prevail against it. And so what I want to know is, by the way, where are the gates of hell located? Are they at the edge of heaven? <laughs> are you sure you want to know where that is? <laughs> well, I just want to say this to you. If, if the gates of hell aren't going to prevail against the kingdom of heaven, then that means the kingdom of heaven is going to be pressing against the gates of hell. So I really Very believe interesting. I really believe, Chuck, I don't believe that every person is going to be saved. I don't think we're going to see the restoration of all things. I'm, I'm not an advocate uh, for dominionism, but I would say this. I do believe that it's the responsibility of the church to testify to the grace and goodness of Jesus so that literally people are rescued from the darkness of hell, and we have neighbors and family members and community members that if they do not know Jesus, they will spend an eternity without him. And And what we're supposed to to do is not lead them to make a confession. We're supposed to lead them to follow the the ways of the kingdom. Isn't that the nature of the Great Commission? It wasn't to to, uh, notch our belts with some uh, confession of salvation, but rather to teach people to obey God to observe everything that he's commanded. In other words, to walk and trust and live as ambassadors for the kingdom. Amen. Let me give you another biblical reference. First John chapter 3, it talks about babes, sons, and fathers. And my question for us, Chuck, those of you and I have spent a long time in the life of church and in culture, is where is it that the body of Christ is not just getting confessions and converts? Are we growing up babes? into sons and daughters, are we growing them up into fathers and mothers? And precious little discipleship, precious little spiritual maturity is actually happening in the body of Christ. And Chuck, more than 95% of pastors, when surveyed, answer no to the question, is your church discipling people well? Well, one entire massive, massive uh, quasi-denomination that uh, had spread its wings over the entire world was grossly embarrassed uh, just a few years ago when a study was done that proved that those in their entire congregation and their spheres of influence knew almost nothing about the Scriptures. Well, and I'll say this for my brother and sister schools like Jessup, what we're finding is the level of biblical knowledge, the, the water level, is receding rapidly for incoming freshmen. They do not know Scripture when they come in to this university and many of our other fine uh, Christ-centered schools. The water level is receding, and I would just plead with moms and dads, and I plead with pastors and leaders, we have got to consistently teach the Scriptures to our children and to our young men and young women so that they can grow in maturity. I am so appreciative of your saying that. Uh, I discovered that this is what was happening 
uh, way back when I served on the board of a growing Christian institution, university, back in from 1979 to 1981. And uh, when I did that study, the spiritual study of the university, and put it in a report to the board of directors, they were blown away. They did not want to hear the truth. And that was then. Just imagine what it's like now, John. Yes, and I, I sadly uh, resonate with you on that reality that we are seeing uh, many, many churches, many, many Christian colleges, and you know this, every single Ivy League school, save one, was established to train pastors and missionaries, and yet virtually all, in fact, I will say all the Ivy League, quote, Ivy League schools now have gone so far from their biblical moorings, and so I would plead with leaders of churches again, with mothers and fathers, to ground your children, ground your young adults, get them established in the Word of God, because it's not being taught uh, consistently and faithfully in so many settings. Well, people wonder how this kind of thing could have taken place. And uh, uh, you quote in your book, uh, Richard Halverson, the former chaplain of the U.S. Senate, and uh, believe it or not, uh, Dick Halverson crawled off his deathbed, literally, to join me for his last public statement on this program. Wow. He was wow. so he was so grieved over what was happening in the church. And uh yeah, he had a book that was published by the same publisher that published my first book and there were six books that that publisher chose to publish. In launching that publishing company, his was one and mine was another. And uh, Dick Halverson made this statement. You quote it in your, in your book. In the beginning, the church was a fellowship of men and women centering on the living Christ. Then the church moved to Greece, where it became a philosophy. And then it moved to Rome, where it became an institution. Next, it moved to Europe, where it became a culture. And finally, it moved to America, where it became an enterprise. Whoa. Whoa. That is a serious indictment, which means what the word enterprise is actually speaking to the love of money and power rather than ambassadorship. That's what grieves me. That it grieves me, and I so appreciate uh, his clarity. I'll give you one very quick story again for Richard Halverson. I'm so grateful that you had that last interview with him. Uh, I did an event many, many years ago where I was head of a, a particular group and invited him. A man who's in, I think, his 80s at the time. He said, "You know, I never prepare for a talk," and I slumped down in my chair because I thought, "Oh boy, oh boy, he's unprepared." And then what he said. Chuck, was he said, I've been preparing for the last 60 years, so I pray, I don't study, and as I pray, the Lord directs me. He proceeded the next 45 minutes to expound upon the Word of God. Oh, Chuck, on every word I hung on. It was so beautiful. Wow. And that was from a Presbyterian. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Richard Halverson, what a, what a beautiful man he was. Uh, look, one of the things that I have discovered during this program is not how wonderful it is to talk with you, John. I believe that we have made a genuine kingdom connection, 
two ambassadors that uh, love the Lord, love the kingdom of God, are seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And uh, it is, is such a blessing to have this kind. This is what I call true unity in the faith. What we're sharing here, we're unified in the truth. We're not compromising the truth. It's the truth that's unifying us. Amen. Amen. And when the scripture tells us that there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one spirit, that unity is based in truth. It's not based in the sort of cookies on the lowest shelf compromise. It's based in the truth of the Word of God. And I, too, Chuck, would just say thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for being consistent with your community, with your audience. And I just pray, pray, pray that your tribe will increase, as it were. Uh, And thank you again for your faithfulness. Well, when you're an ambassador, uh, your job is not to uh, grow a different kingdom. Your job is to represent the kingdom that you represent, that you've been called to represent. So uh, that's our viewpoint here. A viewpoint does determine destiny. We want to continue to be as faithful as possible to represent God's viewpoint in every respect. And you used a term that grace and truth are intention. Well, they are. Their intention, everything in the Bible is in dynamic tension. Love versus hate is in We're supposed to hate evil. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. We're supposed to love the Lord, but we're also to fear him. It just seems, uh, one of the things that I've noticed, John, is that our pastors and parachurch leaders are shying away from all of the tensions of Scripture, and therefore we're actually not teaching the fullness of the truth of God. Well, uh, I'm going to admit to something else again here, Chuck. I hate Uh-oh. to do this, but um, the, the admission is this, that uh, while I have taught through books of Scripture many, many times in my pastoral ministry, uh, there have been other times where I've taught uh, thematically or topically. Mm-hmm. I think one of the reasons why pastors sometimes avoid the tensions of Scripture is because we're fearful of the existing stress and anxiety in culture, so we're always trying to respond to the uh, stress or anxiety by what we teach. And I would say I've been <laughs> learning even more as I teach faithfully, verse by verse, through the various passages of Scripture that the Lord gives us, uh, I find that those tensions actually help people, because you know what? He's speaking truth. There is a tension between love and hate, yeah. a tension between grace and truth, a tension between freedom and anarchy. A lot of people say they want freedom, but what they really experience is anarchy. Yeah. Freedom without boundaries, without viewpoint, by the way. Freedom without viewpoint is anarchy, and it's actually bondage. What I've discovered here is that somehow our technology has failed us. Have you noticed that we have no breaks? Everything has proceeded on. Maybe it's just given us freedom to talk freely without any interruptions, and that's good. However, discerning exactly when the program ends based upon the computer now has disappeared from hope. And so (laughs) we're going to have to draw this to a conclusion Friends, we want you. You need to become a grace ambassador, an ambassador of grace and truth. Jesus said, I came to bear witness to the truth. He was an ambassador of grace, but he came to bear witness to the truth. You have to mix them together in order to get true grace. Become that ambassador. Get a copy of this wonderful book, Grace Ambassador, Your Gift of... uh, 
$12 is going to put this $17 book in your hands. It's going to encourage and strengthen you. I hope that you'll do it today. Go to our website, saveus.org. Become a partner. Send your gifts by faith, friends, to Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. If you're running a check, add $5 for postage and handling. And can I encourage you to become a partner? Send your gifts, friends, by faith to Save America Ministries. Nobody else is, uh, is doing it. You're, God's relying upon you to do it as part of your ambassadorship. You see, we're all in this together. We don't have any commercial support for this program. Have you noticed that? There's a reason. Because the moment you have commercial support is the moment you're tempted to compromise or to yield to the demands of the culture. Thanks for joining us. A blessing to Dr. John Jackson for joining us here. Brother, you are a blessing. I'm giving you a holy hug here over the airwaves and trust that uh, God will... Uh, apply all that we have shared here today for the advancement of his kingdom, may his kingdom come, may his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm going to wrap it up here, even though we do not hear the uh, background music coming up, because we're right at the end of the road. John, you're a blessing, my friend. Thank you so much. Thank you, Chuck. You've been a blessing to me today. God bless you and your audience. Keep pressing on, my brother. Keep pressing on.